0: Welcome to the Weekly Sermon Podcast for Gardenmore Presbyterian Church. Keep up to date on our website, gardenmorechurch.org or search for us on Facebook. Well, Chapter 41 of the Book of Genesis, and thank you for your patience as we read, read it in its entirety. Uh, it's the account, really, of one man's amazing release from a foreign prison. If this was Hollywood, if it was a movie, Well, there'd have been explosions, there'd have been fistfights, there'd have been a, a beautiful woman whom Joseph falls in love with, but the reality was somewhat more sedated, but no less dramatic in terms of this prisoner being sprung to solve a royal riddle and then to rise to become prime minister of the nation, and all in the plans and the purposes of Almighty God. Joseph had been in jail for two years serving a sentence for a crime that he did not commit, but God hadn't forgotten about him. Indeed, the ordering events by the Lord as the Pharaoh has a dream and is then told by his cupbearer who realizes in an instant when the Pharaoh has a dream of his shortcomings. Uh, and, and, and then having the boldness to, to say to Pharaoh, Oh, I remember a, a Hebrew prisoner. I wonder how that might have gone down the Pharaoh's ears. But he can interpret this. And all of this is in the sovereign hands of Almighty God. So let's look at what happens. It's a lengthy chapter, and we're not going to be able to deal with everything, but maybe three little headings that might help us. And, and they're there up on the screen. Firstly, a recollection of the past Now Joseph was only, remember when he was sold to the caravan of Ishmaelites by his brothers, he was in his mid-teens. And probably only a matter of weeks before they then made their way to the city and sold him at at a, a market in an auction, and he was bought by Potiphar. And he served in Potiphar's house for around about 10 or 11 years as a slave and then he was imprisoned before, for two years before what we come to uh, here in chapter 41. So work it out. For nearly half of his entire life, he'd either been a, a slave or he'd been in prison. But as we've noted several times already, Joseph's adverse circumstances did not result in him either rejecting God or holding some kind of bitter resentful spirit against those who had done him wrong. Joseph served God wherever he found himself with faithfulness, humility, and integrity. And there's there's no doubt that it was because of Joseph's witness to the cupbearer when he was in jail interpreting his dream that his life was about to take this dramatic turn as out of the blue, in the prison cell, he's, he's summoned to appear before Pharaoh. Just as God had put dreams into the unconscious minds of Joseph as a boy, as, as he had put them into the, the cupbearer and the baker in prison, So he does the same here with Pharaoh. One night, two dreams. And when he awakens the next day, he's absolutely full of apprehension. So much so that he calls for all the magicians and all the wise men of Egypt. Come and tell me the meaning of these dreams. And this convention of magicians and wise men come up with absolutely zero for all their so-called wisdom and expertise nobody can tell pharaoh what his dreams mean it's as if God fills the mind of the pharaoh with dreams and empties the minds of the wise men who are summoned and to read this chapter as I've already said is to read of the sovereign hand of God absolutely everywhere the Pharaoh's dreams, the soothsayer's ignorance, the cupbearer's recollection at exactly the salient moment, Joseph's willing service, God at work in all of this, majestically sequencing with pinpoint divine precision that Joseph would be right where he wanted him at the time that he wanted to use him to bring glory and honor to his name. Had those two years in prison been easy for Joseph? Had the 11 years of slavery before it? Well, we're not specifically told, but we can certainly imagine what might have been going through his mind. Why hadn't the cupbearer remembered what he'd done in the span of the best part of 700 days and nights? Why had his life just seemed up to this point, certainly from the age of 15 or 16, just seemed to be one long series of injustices. You can almost hear him repeating to himself what the psalmist wrote in Psalm 13, How long, O Lord, will you forget me forever? How long will you hide your face from me? How long must I wrestle with my thoughts and every day have sorrow in my heart? Isn't honesty with respect to God always the best policy when we come before the Lord with a heavy heart? But you see, there's something to learn here that sometimes... Time in the dungeon can be the preparation that we need for service in God's kingdom. Time in the dungeon can be the best preparation for service in the kingdom of the Lord. I can think of several people whose personal circumstances were akin to spending years in the dungeon like Joseph. Some of you were here last year whenever Brian Galt came to speak at one of our evening services. A child of thalidomide, born with no arms. He spoke and has written in his books of his childhood suffering how he felt when he was unable to do what all the other boys and girls could do. And yet the dungeon of that of that cauldron of life experience prepared him for a ministry of addressing hundreds, sometimes thousands of people, telling them about his experience of the saving and sustaining grace of God. I can think of a woman whose husband simply upped and left her, left her and her two children Proceeded then he was living a life of selfishness and indulgence and that became a time for her as a result of enormous darkness in her life. She then became part of a Christian ministry along with others in similar circumstances which sought to reach out to those men and women whose husbands and wives had deserted them and left them lonely and broken hearted. Who else but those who have been through that experience are best placed to minister to those in similar circumstances. That's just two examples of whom it could be said they were years in the dungeon. Not of their own making, yet through the cauldron of that time God used their lives and their experiences to be a blessing to others. Let me ask you, Have you ever been in a dungeon? Are you in a dungeon now? Have you gone or are you going through some kind of period of suffering and difficulty in your life that without exaggeration has been like being in prison? Then perhaps you can be encouraged Reading the story of Joseph, perhaps you can see that in some mysterious way, God has been forging you in the furnace of your experiences to become someone whom He can use to be an encouragement and a blessing to others who will hurt as you have or are hurting. Have you cared for an elderly relative? then God can use you to be a help to someone who finds themselves thrust into that experience in their lives. Have you known a period of illness and trauma in your life? Then God can use you to minister to others who experience just that same fear and turmoil just now. In 2 Corinthians 1, Paul writes to encourage the Christians in the church who have endured all kinds of, of difficulties and trials. And he writes this, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God." a beautiful verse. The dungeon can be an extremely dark and lonely and oppressive place to be, but it can also be the arena of preparation and learning for God to use you for his glory when your release comes. It was like that for Joseph. It can be like that for us. That's the first thing to notice, a recollection of the past. The second thing then is the plan for the present that God has for his patient and faithful servant, Joseph. Now, most of us know the dreams well, and we know that their interpretation about the seven years of plenty and the seven years of famine that was ahead uh, came to Joseph from the Lord. But sometimes our familiarity with them uh, tends to dull the miraculous nature of the revelation of that interpretation that came. And as Joseph stood before the pharaoh, uh, what, a, what an incredible moment that must have been. And what a juxtaposition of being in the prison cell to being in the palace before the pharaoh's throne. And did you notice Pharaoh's reaction tucked in there in the middle of that reading in verse 38? It's clear to him that he is in the presence of someone who is full of the Spirit of God. In fact, isn't it interesting to see how this Gentile ruler can discern in Joseph what his own flesh and blood could only despise and reject? The pattern we see repeated throughout the Bible, isn't it? Jesus' own family at first tried to prohibit him from carrying out his ministry. They couldn't see initially who he was. They tried to bring him home. The, the, the temple leaders weren't able to discern the, the Messiah who had come and was, and was demonstrating his divinity in their very presence. Rather, it's the tax collectors and prostitutes, it's the sinners, it's the societal and religious outcasts who saw what was hidden from the religious. And the working of the Spirit in Joseph's life, so obvious to Pharaoh, had to do really with two things it had to do with his humility and it had to do with his testimony. That's how the Spirit of God was discerned in this man, his humility. Do you see how completely humble Joseph is before the Pharaoh? He didn't come in and blow his own trumpet like somebody on The Apprentice. He didn't come in and announce himself as the solution to all Pharaoh's problems. No, in fact, he tells Pharaoh in verse 16, in essence, the cupbearer's wrong. I can't interpret your dreams. I wonder how Pharaoh felt then but he did say, I can't do it, but my God can. The Lord can. And God will give Pharaoh the answer he desires and that none of the wise men or magicians can supply. Do you see what Joseph's doing? He's not exalting himself. He's exalting God. And then after telling Pharaoh what his dreams meant, he didn't say that, oh, Pharaoh, now now that I've told you, I'm your man. I'm the one who'll solve all this. I'll make all the, the necessary arrangements to make sure that your nation isn't going to be ruined. He didn't do that. He certainly made a suggestion as to what Pharaoh ought to be looking for. But the work of the Spirit of God in Pharaoh's mind and heart was such that he saw in Joseph the person that he needed. We need to be humble, don't we? We need to not boast in ourselves, but boast in our Savior. Whenever we take credit for anything that we might do, we're saying, God, you don't deserve that glory. I do. Isn't it well summed up in two little New Testament phrases? Jesus said, without me, you can do Nothing. Nothing. And in Philippians 4 verse 13, the apostle Paul writes, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. Joseph Joseph, might, you know the way you sometimes nail up those wee verses in your in, in your house and, and you have a wee verse of scripture? You know, I could see Joseph hanging those two if he'd have had them on the walls of his prison cell or in front of the palace or on the front of his chariot, whenever he came to ride it. Without me, you can do nothing, but I can do everything through him who strengthens me. God was enabling him to do so many things for so many people in so many different areas, giving him strength eventually for this huge logistical task of overseeing a 14-year national and international food aid program that would have kept probably millions of people alive. And not only his humility, but his testimony. For Joseph was unafraid to speak of his God before a ruler who, remember, worshipped the sun and the moon and the stars. The Egyptian religion was a stellar religion. They made gods of the celestial bodies. But Joseph was courageous enough to bear witness to the true God, who in the 14 years that lay ahead would so rule the sun that its heat and light would be perfect to produce seven years of plenty, and who would then cause the sun to be so hot that the crops would be scorched and there'd be seven years of famine. God was the God of gods and the Lord of kings and the revealer of mysteries. Let me ask you, are you unafraid to bear witness to God, unafraid before others who might, who might have a different perspective, who, who, who might have a different religion, who, who might have some kind of faith that's not, not yours, not ours? Are you unashamed to make that testimony, courageous enough to speak to them about what God says in his word so that they might be spoken to by God? A recollection of the past, plan for the present, and then preparation for the future. What a wise individual Joseph was. He not only gave to Pharaoh God's interpretation of the dreams that he had, But he went on, as I said, to suggest this uh, smart plan whenever uh, he would eventually implement it as prime minister. But it was a smart plan. Smart. If implemented, it would ensure Egypt's survival for a long period of famine. And I say smart because that's a little acrostic, if you see it up there for Joseph's good planning here. Maybe it might be helpful if applied to to the goals that we set ourselves in our Christian lives. Uh, Forgive me for repeating it, but I I came across in one of the books that I used in preparation for this morning, I thought it might be helpful for us. When it comes to setting goals, uh, they need to be specific goals. Joseph gave Pharaoh a detailed set of arrangements that specified what needed to happen for the conservation of resources. It was measurable, Not sure it would have pleased the people whenever they were taxed at 20% through a seven-year period, but they wouldn't have been complaining whenever the seven years of famine struck. I can assure you it was measurable. The goals were actionable. Joseph's plans would involve everyone in Egypt playing their own individual part for the preservation of everyone together. And boy, doesn't that resonate with us today. Realistic goals it was a workable enterprise that, if taken on, would produce favourable results in the end. And there was a time frame. It had a beginning and it had an end. And it wasn't a project that would last forever and a day. Isn't that a nice we think? Smart. Now, sometimes I'm aware setting goals can be a, a harsh master rather than a helpful servant. But maybe that might help us to, to keep these things uh, in some kind of biblical perspective, because Joseph set goals. Joseph made plans. He prepared for future for the land of Egypt, and every day for 14 years, he was God's instrument of blessing for the people of the land, and indeed, as we'll come to see, for people further afield. And just as we draw to a close, while from Joseph's perspective, the plans were important and necessary, if great suffering was to be avoided, I think that Genesis chapter 41 verse 55 is a gem of a verse. For it gives Pharaoh's perspective on the man in whom he placed his trust for the future for his country as his country began to be on edge a little and began to to wonder uh, what the future was. Because when the years of famine began and hunger increased and the people were in mortal danger of starvation, the message was quite simply this. Go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. Go to Joseph and do what he tells you to do. If you do that, Pharaoh was saying, you'll live if you don't do that, you'll die. Here's a pagan king telling an idolatrous people to go to a servant of God if they want to live. What a magnificent picture of our need to go to the suffering servant, Jesus Christ. Go to Jesus And do what he tells you. Do that and you'll live forever. He's the answer to this spiritual famine that sin brings to our lives. And without him in our lives to to remedy that, we will surely die. John 6.35, do what he tells you. Well, this is what Jesus tells us. I am the bread of life. He who comes to me will never go hungry. And he who believes in me will never be thirsty. He'll satisfy the spiritual hunger in our lives, not for seven years, not even for 14 years, forever. Forever. Have you come to Jesus? Have you done what he tells you to do? Do you want to no longer know that emptiness and hunger that's there in your life? Because here's a very, very simple but powerful verse to give you the direction you need. Go to Joseph, and do what he tells you, go to Jesus, and do what he tells you, do that, and you'll live forever. Amen, and thanks be to the Lord.